All right, so welcome back to another week of Broad and Dimes, our fourth episode. So thank you for staying with us for a month. Today it's only me and Mike. Uh, ben had class and, and some homework to get done. So um, we'll we'll get him back in next week for, for more. Uh, I think next week we're going to do more combine talk just because a lot of the results will come out. Um, Mike and I just saw one of the punters from Arizona State put up 25 reps uh, on the bench press, which is unheard of for a punter. So good for that. But we'll look into that next week. We'll have a lot of content on that. Um, so this is a little bit more of a somber episode. The Sixers are close to the dumpster. Um, We're floundering, to say the least. Yeah, I have my panic button out. I'm staring at it. I won't hit it yet, but my God, I am so worried. And I guess we'll start with, I guess, the obvious. So Ben Simmons getting hurt um, in the All-Star game. So. Yeah, so I mean, Ben Simmons, nerve damage in his lower back. To be reevaluated in two weeks, to me, I think to a lot of people out there, that means he probably won't actually play for like a month. Because reevaluated in two weeks almost definitely means he's not going to be playing at the end of that, you know, reevaluation. Um, and I think that the team has looked really, really worse without him. Um, whether whether like shot creation wise, who brings the ball up? Uh, we tried Nito. I don't really think that that works. I don't think anyone really sees that as a solution. So moving forward, we need to figure out ways to supplement his shot creation, not only his scoring, but his shot creation for others. You know, he's leading the NBA in most three-pointers assisted on. That hurts us a lot, considering we're actually not even that good of a three-point shooting team. So the fact that he leads the league in that statistic is very significant. So we'll see. have to see what happens. Uh you know, moving forward with Ben Simmons, and then obviously most recently the injury to Joel Embiid, which, which that was last night. Um, we're recording this on Thursday night, so we're typically going to do Thursday night recordings into Friday for postings, but tonight we played next. We lost Joel Embiid last night on I, – I don't even know how he did it. Um, it was I, – I don't know. I'm just so frustrated in general. Um like losing him, obviously, he's he's the best player on our team, but Ben Simmons is the most important player on our team. Um, that's how I've looked at it for a while now. That's how I feel. And him going out last night, even before he went out, I will say that team just looked like so confused. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that Josh Richardson said it best last night. Serena Winters after the game asked Josh Richardson, like, you know, what's the biggest problem? What are the things you need to fix? And Josh Richardson simply said, heart. And then he walked away from the interview, right? And he went back to the locker room. So I think that tells you all you need to know about, you know, last night's game specifically, but also our team moving forward. It just really didn't seem like we had the level of fight in the rest of our guys that you'd like to see out of a team that's competing for, you know, ultimately an NBA championship. But at this point, we're kind of fighting for our lives in terms of a playoff berth. Um, We're sitting at the sixth seed right now because of the losses and it right now doesn't really seem like we have a great course of action going forward in terms of improving ourselves and really just trying to figure out who's going to be that guy for us going forward. I think it's going to be Tobias Harris. He struggled last night, obviously. Uh, that was well-documented. A lot of people have you know said what they said about that. Uh, Shake Milton stepped up. That was nice to see. But ultimately, I think it really comes down to the fact that we're a little lost. Offensively, definitely. 
defensively, we lost probably our two best defenders, you know, Embiid as our defensive anchor in the center, uh, Ben Simmons as our most versatile defender, being able to guard any player and, you know, retroactively shut them down. So, you know, we're really just kind of trying to find answers right now. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've – I think we started this whole entire thing and we were saying, hey, we don't want to be just straight up complaining. We want to provide solutions. We want to provide some analysis to kind of, you know, that way we're not broken records because everyone complains, right? If you turn on the radio in any of those stations, you'll hear the radio host complain. You'll hear Collins complain. So we were like, you know what, let's try to change this up. But right now it's – I think I need five minutes of just like we need to just air it out, right? There's a lot of issues on this team. What I don't understand is how consistently we bring people in. And this is like Philly in general. But my God, we bring people in and they just forget how to do their jobs. Al Horford is not a terrible player. Al Horford's actually a very solid player in this league. And he has been throughout his entire career. Yeah, but Mike pointed out a couple weeks ago was he's down in career averages. He's averaging almost as many points as he does shot attempts per game, which is insane. That's like Donovan Mitchell level inefficiency. And like, he just forgot how to defend. Cause like last night in particular, I turned it on. It was like in the fourth quarter and they were like down 15, I think. And you know, it was like two minutes left and he's defending and we're pressing and he goes for the steal. And like, he obviously didn't get there. Then the next play down, he came down and Larry Nance, who I really don't think is that good of a player he just, like, laid it up on him. Al looked like he was going to block a shot and then didn't block the shot. And I just, like, I was not a bad shot blocker. He's a pretty okay shot blocker. Probably career average right around one, one and a half. Which is not bad at all. He used to be a defensive anchor, and now he just forgot how to play. And it's like, okay, he's not a four. We made him play the four. Okay, so now he's a five. And he's still not playing defense correctly. That doesn't make any sense. Josh Richardson who I really liked, and I think that the injury has kind of been an issue for him. You know, with the hamstring injury, that, that that takes a lot out of you. It's your legs, and obviously you use them a lot, and, and it's really important in every facet of the game. He's not getting a lot of lift on his jump shot. It seems like he's using a lot of arms, so that's why he's shooting poorly. Maybe he doesn't, he doesn't initiate the offense the way we need to or want to, and I don't know, there's him. And then the third piece is Tobias, who at one point, I think we all were like, you know what, this is good, right? He's putting up close to 20 points now, and he we're not paying him to be the best player because, like, he's not our best player. He's the third best player, but we need him to get buckets. And we need him to do one thing that the other two can't do, and that's hit shots, like open shots. And he cannot hit open threes. It's so frustrating to watch somebody you put literally the majority of the money into, and he cannot hit the open shots that he should be hitting. And it's not unreasonable to assume that an NBA player can hit an open three but he just completely misses them. And it's constant. And then defensively, it's just like, there's no rotation. There's, I don't know. Everything just looks so bad. And I don't, I don't know who to blame anymore. I don't know who to point a finger at at all. Um, and the way I see it is this team. And I think, you know, crispy, my, one of my friends, he pointed this out very well last night. He was just like, this is the least motivated group of guys he's ever seen in sports. It's like, you play at home, you blow people out, you score 49 points by yourself, and you call yourself the best player in the league. I don't disagree with that. That's a good move, right? Fine. You want your confidence to be up, Joel? Do it. You're good. But the rest of them, just very unmotivated on the road. You, you, you're 
three-point percentage dips 9% from 37.7 or 39.7 down to 30 on the road, you you shoot about you score about 10 less points and your efficiency ratings all around just aren't good. So I don't know where we go from here. And I can't think of anything else. I don't know, Mike. I I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> yeah, just so I mean, frustrated. Right now, I guess sort of just to fully go through all of the different things that have been happening. Today it came out Glenn Robinson is already unhappy with his role on the Sixers. This is something that has come out within the last few hours. It's problematic for a number of reasons because you're wondering, you know, does this come from the fact that it's just that he's only been on on the team for a few games and maybe we just haven't figured out exactly how to utilize him or is it we really don't know how to utilize this guy? We went and traded for him, but where does he fit into our team and do we really know where he fits in? And that's probably a coaching issue, um, figuring out exactly how to fit these new guys into the roster because they were guys who were getting, you know, almost 30 minutes in Golden State. We're a much better team than Golden State. Golden State had one of the worst records in the NBA going into the All-Star break. So obviously it's a different style of team, a different level of competition that we're striving for as an organization. But at the same time, these guys were starters or, you know, sixth men on a NBA team. And now certain games it's like they're getting maybe 10 minutes and that's not really what you want to see out of guys you traded for at the deadline sure we didn't give up a lot for them but they are both players who can make a positive impact and so you really want to see them be given the opportunity to make that impact going forward you would expect that they will get a lot more playing time because of the injuries to Ben Simmons and to Joel Embiid but neither of them play Embiid's position so it shouldn't actually change that much compared to, you know, the Ben Simmons injury impacting it. You know, we've seen Alec Burks be talked about as an opportunity, like maybe as an opportunity for him to bring the ball up, initiate offense in situations that Ben Simmons did before. We haven't seen him do it a lot. I think that that's a good idea for us to use going forward. I don't know how you think about that. Well, I mean, Outside of Josh Richardson, right, it seems like Alec Burks is the only other one that can just create his own shot. Toby's really slow up the ball sometimes, and he doesn't really initiate the ball offense and doesn't really dribble well sometimes. But Alec Burks, yeah, I, I like him for that, right? He can get his own shot. He did something in the Brooklyn game that I was like, hold on. Like, what is that? He actually made a move at the basket and scored. I was like, I haven't seen that in a while from a Philly guy or someone we traded for. Um I, and in terms of initiating the offense, I, what, I don't I don't know what our offense is. We, I have been saying this for a while. We don't run any plays. It doesn't seem like we have plays at all. There are two things that are consistent with our offense. There's a lot of dribble ISO or post-up ISO where we're just relying on these guys to just take people off dribble or just like Joel to back someone down. And Al does that thing where he like hunches over and just takes three power dribbles and then throws up a rogue hook shot that sometimes goes in. The other offense is that BS flare screen thing that somebody, and it's typically Toby or or, or Richardson or, or Ferk when he's in, they come across the lane or the top of the key. There's a BS little flare screen set up by by one of the bigs. Comes out and little, you know, doesn't really hit, doesn't really chip the guy. Ben will just give it to whoever that is coming off. They get it. Then the other three clear out to one side. Then you have the big down low, and it's literally a pick and roll. And Maybe a post up, or maybe you know someone hit a rogue three, but the other three just stand there. And I think you know 
this is this is something that I've been doing a lot recently, just because I've just trying to to understand more and just kind of see, you know, obviously I've been I, I thought about this a lot, right? Like the NBA, you're paying a lot of money to go watch someone do something that you in theory you can do, right? Like if you can play basketball, you can play basketball. Obviously, they do it better than you. I was like, all right, let me start watching the season. Let me watch off ball. I don't want to watch the ball. I want to see what's going on off ball. Just to see, okay. You know, people said JJ Redick was really good at moving without the ball. I think that's a very underrated skill. And that's what kind of gives a guy like JJ a long career is his ability to obviously get open for a shot. Corver is another example. Um, just just guys that have prolonged and Vince Carter, the guys that have prolonged their career that you know, maybe it, they've they can't really play defense as quickly. Vince Carter is still pretty good, but you know, they've done things with their career and, and, and kind of focused on things to really help themselves. We have zero off-ball movement. I challenge anyone that's listening to this. The next time you watch an NBA game, period, or a basketball period, just watch the guys without the ball. Start watching how they move, how they cut. One of the things that Golden State does very well and has done very well during their success is the movement. You watch how Klay Thompson moves. He he scored 63 points one time, taking 13 dribbles the entire game. It's because he moves extremely well without the ball, and when he gets open, he makes his, you know, he makes his shot. You watch any of the really good teams out there? Why do you like? Do you think that Toronto is actually as good as they are? I don't know, but are their players like that much more talented than our guys? I don't think so. They have Rondé Hollis Jefferson, guy couldn't shoot in high school, could barely shoot at Arizona, and still can't shoot really in the NBA. But he's effective. Chris Boucher, right? Is that his name? Yeah, Chris Boucher from Oregon. He had an injury. He dropped off the draft boards. Went to the G League. Won G League MVP twice, I think. And then now is playing a significant role at the Raptors where, you know, he's doing his thing. And I, I we have Mike Scott. You, you're Mike Scott's. I think Mike Scott's better than Chris Boucher, but no, not right now. He can't hit it open three. He doesn't play defense. We have Neto. Neto is Neto. I really have no, not much to say. Korkmaz. I mean, yeah, he's getting there. I used to, you know, I still don't really like him that much, but I'll admit it. He's a bright spot. That's where we are right now. If I'm admitting that he's a bright spot, that's that's saying something. Um, watch seriously. Watch a Sixers game. Watch the guys without the ball. They do not move at all. And if they move, it's literally a quick switch. It's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step. You switch with me. Like you go to the corner, I go to the wing. That that's movement. That's all there is. There's no cutting. There's no there's no anything. And it's just dribble ISO. You watch the Lakers. You watch Milwaukee. You watch all those good teams. They move without the ball. So I mean, that's my. That's why that's our 15-minute rant on the Sixers right now. Um, I don't know if Mike, you want to add anything to that? Just no. I think that that's that's really just kind of where we're at right now with Sixers basketball. We are really coming down to the point where solutions aren't exactly quite as cut and dry as they were before. Because at least before, you could build your solutions around star players like Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid or the duo of them together, and now you're kind of trying to figure out how exactly we make it all work. Um, hopefully next week, once we see some of these games coming up, you know, tonight we played the Knicks, have a couple more games in between now and our next episode. We might be able to figure a few things out in terms of different ways to run our offense now. Obviously, I think you'd like to see a little bit more scoring spread now, see some guys step up, see some guys play some bigger roles than they had been before. But, you know, moving right along, like we mentioned right in the beginning of the episode, it is now NFL Combine time. Mm-hmm. So this will be the first time we talk about the Philadelphia Eagles on the podcast. 
And we kind of just want to go through what we see as glaring needs for our team, certain prospects we think can fill those needs, as well as, you know, certain storylines that you've seen developing with the team. Uh, For instance, the Alshon Jeffrey situation, Malcolm Jenkins won't come back unless he's paid more money, probably deserves that money because the guy's been phenomenal for us, pretty much hasn't missed a defensive snap in like four or five years. So going forward, we really just kind of want to talk about what we see as developing situations with the Eagles and how we can, you know, go about solving them. So John, you want to start? Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll do this first. We'll, we'll talk about the season. What obviously went, there's a lot that went wrong this last season. Um, just like the Sixers, we came in with, and, and the Phillies, we came in with really high expectations, right? We, we got Sean Jackson back, Al Sean, Nelson Aguilar. We got the top receiving, like pro football focus, top receiving core. We have the top offensive line. We have the top defensive line, and that was and that was it, right? And and then Malik Jackson gets hurt within, I think, the first two snaps of Week One, like broke his foot. Um, we know what happened to Deshaun Jackson. Probably should have just rested and gotten you know gotten surgery first. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Alshon has had his issues with with Wentz. Um, honestly, that last season, I and Mike and I have talked about it. We've gone back and forth on it. If there's a laundry list of things that are the issue with our team, Carson Wentz is not on. Carson Wentz is somewhere near the bottom. He's probably the last guy we need to fix. Standing next to Brandon Brooks and and Mike Johnson, right? Malcolm the, Jenkins, maybe. And, and Malcolm Jenkins, yeah. Um, and so I think ultimately, my opinion is what went wrong for us was, or what kind of tanked the season to to kind of. It, it was good how it ended, right? Made the playoffs, whatever. The move, the, the the lack of a move at the deadline is what I think for me personally that that's where I I struggle. Um, the Clowney trade probably wasn't going to make a lot of sense, um, and that would have just been a lot to give up, and we didn't really have much to give up. Where I saw the the kind of hole was that Minka Fitzpatrick trade to the Steelers. That looks like a really big mistake now, just because that that kid's a beast. Um, he can, he can play. He can play at the corner, play in either corner spot. He can play safety. And right. for me, and, and the Jalen Ramsey trade, which I, I'm very glad we stayed away from, but for me, that Fitzpatrick trade, like that was the one that I was like, okay, if I'm going to go all in on a trade, it's that one. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think talking about the Minka Fitzpatrick trade, too, it's not only just about what the Steelers gave up, because at that point in the season, you objectively have to admit that the Steelers were in a much worse situation, so their first-round pick was more desirable than our first-round pick. But they go and make that trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. They turn themselves into a borderline playoff team. Minka Fitzpatrick transformed their whole defense. That guy had so many takeaways in his first few games with the Steelers and then continuing throughout the whole season that it literally revamped their entire defense. They came out with more energy. They looked like an entirely different team out there. And it's something that we could have used – where exactly would we play Minka Fitzpatrick? I don't really know that it matters because I think he's versatile, like Malcolm Jenkins is versatile. So I think that we could have obviously found room in our defense for that level of talent. I agree with John in saying that that's really probably the biggest regret for me as a fan of any trades that we were kind of involved in talks with was not, you know, securing Minka Fitzpatrick. But, you know, kind of moving on that line, talking about defensive back issues. We're probably going to lose McLeod. 
Um, or That's at least the- maybe not re-sign McLeod. So we do have a hole at safety. Who are we going to put there? We have a lot of young cornerbacks. None of them are really consistently high-level players at that position. Some people will argue that a lot of them have shown promise in small doses in different situations, but I think that the ones that we have locked up now are really the only ones that we need to worry about. Like I don't necessarily know that I'm dying to re-sign Jalen Mills, to re-sign Ronald Darby. Were they probably the better consistent performers on our team? Yeah, but neither of them were really all that consistent, so that says a lot. We still have Virgil Douglas under contract. We still have Sidney Jones under contract, Craven LeBlanc, Avante Maddox. All those guys had similar consistency issues, but all of them showed promise in their own respects, right? So do we target a guy at the at our pick in the first round for cornerback? Do we target guys later in the draft? You know, do we go wide receiver in the first round? These are the debates that we're gonna talk about on this and really the debates that have been coming up since the season ended. It's like we came into the year with the best receiving core. We ended the year with probably the worst receiving core in the entire NFL <laughs> because of injuries, because of lack of performance by certain players, whatever it comes down to. We need help at that position. Luckily, this is probably one of the deepest receivers classes we've seen in 10 years probably. Yeah. So, you know, that definitely helps us. That gives us a little bit of an advantage. It also gives us the opportunity to address what, ends up being in our organization's mind because I trust our organization. I trust Howie Roseman. I think he's good at drafting. I think he knows what the team needs. And I think that we're able to address exactly what we need in the first round, whether they determine it to be a wide receiver or cornerback. I think that sitting at 21, they get whatever they can in terms of the best player to fit right into our, you know, our starting lineups here. And then in the second, third round, we have a lot of picks and we've talked about it before. This is something where we see the opportunity to move up if there's someone who we see as a can't-miss prospect for us. And it gives us the opportunity to stockpile young assets, too, which, honestly, our team was young, you know, two, three years ago. And now it's sort of just... It's older. It's teetering on old to, like, experience, to say the least, right? And so an infusion of young talent is definitely something that's worthwhile for us. So let's just go right into it and talk about the two positions that we see as most valuable, actually, I want to say three positions because it's cornerback, linebacker, wide receiver, right? Those are positions not, not, that not, need not, to be addressed. Not in right. that order. Just um, those are the positional yeah. groups. So, John, why don't you start with cornerbacks and who are your guys that you like? Who are the guys that you see on our team as being able to stick around and who gets replaced? Yeah, so um, not the biggest Jalen Mills fan from the get-go. I will say that from, from the start. Um, I'm always really critical and obviously guys that, that Philly loves. I mean, Jalen Jalen Mills has given a lot to Philadelphia. I mean, he dyed his hair green once he got drafted. He's a seventh-round pick. So I guess you can make the argument there's not high expectations. If he wants to come back for cheap, that's fine. Once he came back, I will say he, he was better than what we had, right? But, but marginally better, and that's not really saying much. Um, Darby... The injury concerns for me, I would say, you know, it's fine. Like he can walk, um, but but you're right. I mean, he was probably the our best corner going for. We we just keep getting the number two corners from other teams and just slotting them in number one. And I say that with the idea of Byron Maxwell being that. Like he was obviously the second safety in that Legion of Boom defense or second corner, excuse me. Darby was also the number two corner. Um, in his Buffalo. time in Buffalo, yeah. who was the other? St- Stefan Gilmore. So that should just tell you right there. Stefan Gilmore is clearly number one. Darby, probably not. 
he's number two, right? Um, so those two, Jalen, if he wants to come back for cheap, Darby, if he wants to come back for cheap, but if he wants money, money, I'm good. Like you can keep it off. Um, I, I like Maddox. I like Craven LeBlanc. I, I think that Craven LeBlanc is is the, our slot corner. Yeah. Um, that that's what he is. That's what he's very he's been very solid at. And considering he was pretty much a no name, he, he was yeah. our, our season last year was the 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 year of the the no names. Right. We had Byron. Excuse me, Boston Scott, Greg Ward, some road receivers at the end. The year before that, it was the secondary, right? Like we had Craven LeBlanc come out of nowhere. There was a couple other guys that we signed off of random practice squads that didn't make it because they kept getting burnt. Um, Craven Blanc was was a bright spot, right? I like him. He stays. I think they need to give Rasul Douglas this position change. And here's why. I think that his time in West Virginia, he's he's long, he's athletic, he's tall and athletic. He played some safety. I think you give him a shot at safety because obviously being an outside corner, he's not quick enough for that. He keeps getting burnt deep. And I think that he does he does come up big at the points. And him and Sidney Jones, they both come up very big. And, you know, when the lights are on, they've both made tremendous plays when they needed to make these plays. But I think you need to give him a chance at safety. That gives you that infusion of youth you were talking about. Let McLeod walk, my opinion, I think Jenkins should slide down into that line outside linebacker position. That's a that's a hot take, sort of, but he can play. He's always it. been a hybrid guy. I mean, he's yeah. a cornerback at one no, point. Now that he transitioned to safety, he plays up in the box for us. He's a hard hitting, sure tackling safety. I think he's just kind of a do it all guy for our mm-hmm. defense. Talking on the original Douglas point, I think he throughout his few years here has shown that he's a ball hawk at the very least. Like he knows how to high point a football. Yeah. Right. He can go up and grab it. He has actually shown pretty good hands in terms of intercepting passes as well. So as you know, a free roaming safety in the back there, that might be a good situation for him. I think that outside of our own team and you start to look to free agency, there are some questions, and I, along with probably a lot of you other Eagles fans, have a lot of concern when we talk about going to sign what are, quote, sure things at cornerback, right? Because we signed, you know, Namdi Asamoah, Dominic Rodgers Cromarty, Byron Maxwell. All those guys ultimately failed here, you know, after being what really many thought to be top cornerback options, right? And so, I think it's tough to justify signing guys at the cornerback position just because of how poorly it's worked out for us in the past. Mm-hmm. The number one name we've been linked to is Byron Jones from the Dallas Cowboys. I think I'd be more interested in someone like Amari Cooper from the Dallas Cowboys just because he seems like more of a sure thing. He's transitioned from teams and showed that he's still very, very talented. Um, not that Byron Jones isn't a very talented player, but I just have a lot of anxiety when it comes to signing cornerbacks to our roster. So I think that moving forward, we really should focus on the draft if we're going to go with someone at the cornerback position. And I really just think that that's just the way it has to be. So going off of that, we're going to talk about some prospects in the draft at the cornerback position who we think are, you know, possibly going to be available for us at 21. Uh, Also some guys who might be available a little bit later in the draft or you know, even possibly selected ahead of us because this cornerback class isn't necessarily the deepest, and mm-hmm. if there are needs by teams ahead of us, we might get some players taken out from under us. 
So the first guy I'm going to talk about is C.J. Henderson. Played for Florida. He's about 6'1", just about 200 pounds, a little bit over. I think he's listed at 202 right now. This year he had 11 passes defended, which is pretty solid numbers. You know, you see that right across the board for a lot of these top guys. He didn't have any interceptions this year, which could raise some concerns. But in previous years, he had four and then two and two touchdowns um, in those six interceptions. So the guy can play the ball, and he's a decent tackler, you know, right around 26 solo tackles the last couple of years. Um, and his passes defended have gone up every single year. So, you know, he's a guy who's improving, guy who's got a strong build for the position, and a guy who might be available for us at 21, definitely a first-round prospect. So, John, if you want to go into your first guy. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been kind of struggling with just kind of who I want to talk to, talk about here. Uh, one guy I want to bring up is Damon Arnett, and he lined up on the other side of um, Jeffrey Okuda, who is the clear number one cornerback prospect. Um, and no one's touching him there. Um, so, basically, Damon Arnett, six foot, pretty good, you know, solid size for a corner. Uh, listed at 195 this year for Ohio State. Um Four-year guy, pretty good. I mean, honestly, he only defended eight passes, but kind of looking at it, if you think about Ohio State's team and kind of that pass rush with Chase Young, you really don't have to do much as a corner. You just got to stick with your man. Don't get beat deep. Um, and, and honestly, the thing I like about just Arnett is just his ability to, to, to I guess, play the ball when he was thrown to. Um, I mean, he did – he in his career, he has one touchdown this year. He returned at 96 yards. I think that the kind of being that ball hawk, being able to kind of obviously play the ball and then take to the house easily kind of, kind of that should put you in there just as from an athlete standpoint and from just kind of, um, you know, to, to work on your abilities and hone your abilities. I think that looking at Mike and I were just talking about this, right? Like we like big school guys just cause they play the best talent. Um, on their own teams, they also play the in the best conferences. So, um, specifically the SEC, yes, a great track record over the last few years with defensive backs, it, safeties, and cornerbacks alike. Exactly. Um, which I guess I'll transition into kind of my next guy is Trayvon Diggs from Alabama. Um, what I want to see in this draft is a lot more of these SEC guys going to the Eagles, just because they've proven themselves to eventually be good in the NFL, right? And, and Alabama has traditionally had a really good class of just secondary guys. Um, we were talking about Landon Collins, Ha Clinton Diggs, obviously Minkin Fitzpatrick, which we both like. Um, but Trayvon Diggs, 6'2", really big corner there, um, being able to, to kind of high point the ball and be able to defend the the kind of the, the bigger receivers, right? Think one, one thing we had an issue with this year was obviously Julio T- Jones torched us when we played him, right? Uh, Devontae at uh, Parker, excuse me, Devontae Parker. Yeah, Devontae Parker, because there's from Miami. No, 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 sorry. And and Adams, both both Devontae's. Um, they both cooked us, right? So having having a Trayvon Diggs from Alabama, I mean, this year APAS defended again. Don't really look at that as, as a big issue just because he did play for a very, very good team and he just has to stick with this guy. But he had three interceptions this year, which I mean, that should just speak for itself. You know, being able to, to find the ball and, and kind of High point that and, and make that make that make that grab first of all. That's something that a lot of corners struggle with. Um, so I'm a big big guy on Trayvon Diggs. I'm curious to how he's going to perform at the combine in general, um, just because I do want to see these numbers and how these guys stack up to each other. And I think the corners are tomorrow. 
I want to say tomorrow or Saturday, because um, those those are like the prime time slots. So the Trayvon Diggs is my second guy. Yeah, uh, staying in the SEC, my next guy is Christian Fulton out of LSU. This guy was actually, as a senior, like the number two cornerback on that team, only because they had a like an otherworldly performance at their cornerback one slot by a freshman by the name of Derek Stingley Jr. So <laughs> if you guys haven't looked at that guy, you know, he won't be draft eligible for another two years. But Derek Stingley is probably one of the best cornerback position or cornerback prospects that we've had, you know, in years. Like this dude is top notch, probably the best cornerback we'll see for a while. But getting back to Christian Fulton, prototypical cornerback size, six foot, two hundred pounds, fourteen passes defended. Those are really good numbers in terms of passes defended. He only had one interception, and he only had one interception in the year previous. So he's only had two interceptions in his career, but his pass defended numbers are great. I mean, you don't necessarily need an interception every time. Honestly, in certain situations, it's much better just to knock the pass down. And it seems like he has a great understanding of the position to get in to do that. And I think that he's a, you know, would be a guy who can slide right into our defense, start right away. And like we said before, SEC guys, specifically Alabama and LSU, secondary players from those yeah. two schools come into the NFL and they succeed. I mean, just think about LSU cornerbacks, right? You got Tredavious White right now. Happy. Uh, yep. You got um, Tyron Matthew at the safety position, another D back out of LSU. You know, these guys just come in and they Jalen Mills. Right. I mean, I didn't want to go and talk about Jalen Mills, but you know, at least, you know, he's been one of the better cornerbacks on our team for the last few years. So you can't really argue too much about that, but still, I think that there are some, there are some good guys coming out of that school and they, they really, you know, put on. So, yeah. And, and one thing about Fulton, which, uh, you know, I let Mike, Mike wanted to take that one. Just obviously he's a very good prospect. Those numbers are coming off of the, was it the most, was the highest strength of schedule by any national champion ever. Um, Coach O obviously put LSU in that really tough, in a really tough uh, um, schedule this year. And I mean, him being able to perform the way he did and that team to be able to go undefeated and win the championship at the end of the day, that just speaks volume. So obviously that's someone we'd want to pick up, but um, personally don't think that cornerbacks where we should go first. Yeah. Um, that's just me. And I think that's also just the general kind of, you know, feel from a lot of, of the the experts and things like that. The, the Eagles won't go defense first just because that offense is is kind of – there's more glaring holes there. Um, do you have another guy you want to talk about real quick? Uh, just another guy, I guess, if you want to talk about defensive backs, Jalen Johnson out of Utah, another another high-end guy, prototypical size, 11 passes defended, two interceptions, plays the ball well. But like John said, moving on, you know, because the Sixers – or the – Eagles, sorry, really may not address the cornerback position in the first round or really any defensive position for that matter. So moving right along, wide receivers, right? That's yeah. the thing right at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, a lot of fans' mind, probably the organization's minds as well. So what? this class just oozes with talent. Like I have no doubt that we won't get the best <laughs> one of the better ones. Yeah, well, I mean so – so I guess we want to start with that. So is Aguilar coming back? Uh, I say no. I think we shouldn't bring him back. Yeah. Um, whether it's from a talent standpoint, I think it's more from like a desire to win standpoint that he really bothers me more on. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm ready to just kind of move on from that whole situation. I mean, honestly, like thinking about the free agency 
period as well, just because if we want to talk about established guys, like it's good. There's there's good guys coming for the cornerback position as well. Uh, Kendall Foles out there, and Chris Harris is out there, Darby if we want to bring him back. I know we said Byron Jones would not want to bring like a star star back. Jimmy Smith's out there, and I, I think I'd like to see Jimmy Smith. He has that toughness as well. Um, but I, in terms of wide receivers coming, you know, if we want to look for agency as well, like you said, Amari Cooper, obviously that's going to be like – I don't know. I just think like how he's cleared some cap space in the last couple of weeks, whether that's to pay Malcolm Jenkins or pay someone else, I don't know. But but Cooper, obviously a good one. Robbie Anderson's out there too, I think. Yep. Um, Temple guy that, coming back to Philly. Exactly. I'm sure it would be a good situation for us. Deep play threat. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson is still signed through this year, but Robbie Anderson's a little bit bigger, a little bit younger, you know, provides some of that same kind of threat down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who kind of came on late at the end of last year playing for the Buccaneers, Brashad Perriman, yep. um, didn't necessarily look the part when he was in Baltimore or when he spent some time you know, elsewhere, but last year he really seemed to put it all together. Another good speed guy can high point the ball, so that's a little bit of a difference between him and, like, Deshaun Jackson or Robbie Anderson. He can high point. Um, and in about eight games, he had, like, 600 yards receiving, so, I mean, that's pretty solid production, better than anything we had because we didn't even have a rec- uh, receiver top 500 yards. So Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess if we want to kind of talk about the kind of prospects we like, just looking at the prospect list in general, um, just – Crazy talent from top of the like starting with Jerry Judy from from Alabama. That's that's Julio. Julio, that's Julio Jones again. A Jew, Jew. Yeah. a Jew. <laughs> Have anyone seen that interview? He talks about how he has a Star of David necklace, and it's because people call him Jew as a nickname, and he just was like, "I'm going to wear the Star of David." So he had to apologize for that already. I, I mean, I would hope so. that borderline. <laughs> and by borderline, I mean extremely, probably over that line. He's little sacrilegious there, but that's besides the point. But he's crazy talented. He, oh yeah, him rugs, and I think there. I don't remember who the third receiver uh, rugs being. Henry rugs the third. Is there a third receiver? I don't. He's it's eligible. Devonte Smith. But he, right? Is he is he eligible though? I mean, I I don't know if he's eligible for the draft. But basically, the, the story of the three of them playing rock paper scissors on the field to see who would run the deep route is just absurd. And that should just tell you all it needs to tell you about those guys and their their confidence and their ability to go ball, right? Um, so I, I, obviously we're, we're not going to get him. We're not going to get him just strictly because I think between him and C.D. Lamb, those are like the – they're vying for kind of – C.D. Lamb is who I want the most, but we yeah. won't get him. Unless we trade up, you know, who knows. Right, but what, what are we at? We're at 21? 21. 21. We probably have to get up to at least like 11 mm-hmm. to get one of those yeah, But I, I honestly – like my point with – The receivers is, are starting to tail off a little bit in terms of love because everyone realizes how deep this class is. Yeah. They think they can get people a little bit later, but, you know. I mean, still go high. I mean, in terms of so we're looking at CBS Sports right now, the top four prospects: uh, Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, and, and T. Higgins from Clemson. Like, I would be more than happy with any of those guys. Maybe T. Higgins is obviously the bigger one of the, the six four. four. Six four. Um, I, with the Alshon issues, I, maybe he can be that that kind of that big guy on the outside. Definitely um, high points the ball well, strong hands. You know, it's everything you want to see out of a red zone target. You know, Wentz hasn't really had a red zone target, not named Zach Ertz in yeah. a little while. So, I mean, Dallas Goddard also, but, you know, both tight ends. Yeah. So, you want to see a, another red zone threat at the receiver position. I think maybe some people thought Arthega Whiteside might be able to provide <laughs> some of that. He really did not. Um, not to say that we need to give up on him one year. You know, 
we've seen people turn around. Nelson Aguilar, yeah. who I don't want back, but did turn around his career after two kind of slow years. So, um, you know, who, who knows? Maybe Ortega Whiteside will, will follow suit in that regard. But those are the top four guys. I think after that, though, there are a lot of good guys still, like Justin Jefferson from LSU. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at him. Yeah, he's 6'3", over 200 pounds. Dude can play, right? Yeah. Like, he didn't win the Blendikoff because it went to his teammate, who's not draft eligible. But Justin Jefferson had, like, 1,700 yards receiving this year. That's a really, really impressive numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's still college, and yes, he was in an aired-out offense with a Heisman winner in Joe Burrow. But, but the, he he made play, he makes plays. Like, yeah. Like, I, I personally – He always up in the slot, too, sometimes. Like, yeah. And he's, he's quick. He – He's big enough to kind of obviously out jump guys for balls, but he's also quick enough to like get open and and just be a good target. I just I, I want this is what I want from Philly draft picks now. I just want a baller, right? Like in for the Sixers, I want a guy that will just go get a bucket, and for the Eagles, I just want a guy that can just go ball out, go run your routes, go high point ball, go moss somebody. We haven't had that in so long. I also really like KJ Hamler from Penn State. I think he's just versatile. He'll be, he'll be just that that quick. He can return kicks for us. He can you know be in the slot for us. That'll be good. Donovan Peoples Jones from Michigan. I know he's really tailed off from kind of his. He, he was hyped up a little bit. He's kind of tailed off, but I mean, who doesn't want a six foot two wide receiver? I mean, he can ball. Um, he can also ball as well. Um, I, honestly, like this entire class is just loaded with with talent from top to bottom. Um, I think a guy right now who people were talking about in the beginning of the year, maybe talk has trailed off on him, but he's really, really versatile. And that's LaVisca Chenault Jr. out of Colorado. He's 6'1", 227. You don't see a lot of wide receivers at that 230, you know, weight. It just doesn't really happen that often. And this dude plays all over the field for Colorado. Mm -hmm. He plays outside, he plays slot, he plays H-back for him. Um, you know, he takes snaps out of the wildcat position. He's all over the place. He can run the ball. He's great after the catch. He's very athletic speed and ability to jump and high point that football. That's something that we really need. So I think he's another option in recent days. I've seen us link to Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona state, another burner, six foot, 205 pounds, really good player. Jalen Rieger fits into that same mold like KJ Hamler in terms of, you know, straight line speed, really, really quick guy, deep, uh, deep threat, can run with the ball. So, you know, there are just a lot, a lot of guys in this class who are really, really going to draw some eyes. I think that one of the guys who, you know, we, we talked about, I mentioned him before, and that's Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State. Six mm-hmm. four, another high point guy, really good hands. I've seen like a couple articles that are like, he may not be the fastest guy, he may not have the best routes, but he probably has the best hands in this draft. And so, you know, never a bad option. He'd be a guy who we might be able to get in like the third round, right? And so I think that you really need to start to prioritize these guys because of how deep of a class it is and just really decide who you see as the biggest fit for us, as well as, you know, when can we get them? When can we, you know, decide to take that chance on these guys? And, and assuming we, I don't know what we're going to do with Alshon or how we, we rectify that situation. But, um, and there's no, honestly, like for me, I loved Alshon. Um, obviously, he helped us win a Super Bowl. That's something that, you know, I will never forget. He's 
He's probably the first big name receiver on the Eagles since T.O. Yeah, we that we show. brought. Oh, well, that we brought in uh, yeah. from another team. Definitely. Because um, yeah, we drafted, obviously, we drafted Deshaun. Deshaun's also getting older, so I, I see this as I'm. I'm assuming that Deshaun and, and Whiteside are kind of the only two guys that are coming back. In all reality, we got to get rid of Alshon. I think that that situation is pretty much done. Um, Aguilar, might, I'm out on, like we were saying. We might be able to bring back uh, Greg Ward too. Oh, and yeah, who can forgive Greg Ward? Like I, I'm I'm a big proponent of just bringing him in to have him in there as a fourth guy. I'm, it's assuming you don't get rid of. In case our quarterbacks get hurt again. That that too, um, which is another thing to talk about a backup quarterback. But that's besides the point. Um, no, I, I just think that Mike's right. Prioritize these guys. See who you want. If you, my my thing is this: if we really like a guy, like if if Howie and, and kind of Doug really like a guy, I will not be mad to get go get him. Just because at this point, what do you have to lose? You know, right. we, that was a disappointing season. Everyone admits that. Everyone knows that. We were so close. Whatever. Just go get your guy. You know. And I think that one thing I learned from last year was, I mean, like, why didn't we pick up DK Metcalf? Right. Right. Like that. I mean, he had his issues like with his like three cone drill, but like he's six four, he had an thirty two, he had an eight pack and four four, yeah. And if he was four three, maybe it was something ridiculous that I mean, everyone was just stunned. Why not go get him? Like we drafted Whiteside, which he could also still be very good. I mean, he made some pretty big catches. Yeah, towards the end of the season, definitely. Um, which is good. Came into zone, but I think no, I think that's good. I mean, wide receiver class. Obviously, there's a lot in free agency. There's a lot that we can go after. But yeah, yeah, and then just last two guys. Not even going to really talk about their skill set, but you know, if you're interested in some wide receivers, we might be able to snag later in the draft. Guys like KJ Hill out of Ohio State, really good name to look at, and a local guy, which is Isaiah Wright out of Temple. His stats aren't that incredible, but his highlights and his big plays are really good. You know, he didn't play in an offense that probably utilized his skills as much as possible, but he's another dude who's really big, like 6'2", 220. Another guy, you know, sort of like that LaVisca Chenault kind of build, can play different positions on the field, slot receiver, outside receiver, uh, can play some H-back kind of stuff, you know, just a, just a weapon out there. So always good options to have that. And then moving right along, the last position that we see as a really big need for us is linebacker, and and I know linebacker has been hasn't been like a priority for Jim Schwartz, but dude, we cannot roll out with Nate Gary as our like we we cut Nigel Bradham, and like Nate Gary cannot be. I told this to Mike, and this is an, if you want to go online and try to find us on Twitter, there is a video that I think Will Will what's his name Will um, Sharp Warren Sharp, excuse me. That Warren Sharp put out. It's from the Atlanta game. And it's a play-action pass that Matt Ryan he ended up not completing the pass, but it, it was just, it just said everything you need to say about kind of Nate Garrett, the linebacker position. Well, on this play-action, he, as as like Bradham and at the time Zach Brown, they knew it was play-action. They bit on it, and as they realized it was play-action, they were retreating in the coverage, which is what you're supposed to do. My man Nate Garrett was biting on the play-action, so he was already three steps behind. And instead of maybe going to the spot, I guess I don't really know the zone coverage, obviously, but he decided to turn his head and run straight backwards towards kind of like that second level where the safeties are. And I was literally like, what in God's name are you doing? 
right? And that, like, I that was not a big fan of Hank Gary this year. Um, I know you like Edwards, right? TJ Edwards, yeah. I thought he was a good undrafted free agent pickup for us. Four-year guy at Wisconsin. Big 10 linebackers, kind of like defensive backs from the SEC, mm-hmm. are really what you like. A lot of Big 10 linebackers have put in really strong careers in the NFL. Yeah. So, And the one thing that is a little bit concerning out of this class is we're really looking for inside linebackers or inside linebackers we can transition to sort of an outside linebacker role because we're not necessarily looking for pass rushing from our linebacker position. We get that pass rush from our defensive four. So this class isn't the strongest in that regard. And the guy who's at the top of this class by far, who's Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, we have no shot at whatsoever to draft. But other than him, there are some good options, right? Uh, you mentioned Patrick Queen out of LSU. If you want to talk about him a little bit, yeah, I'm just I really want Isaiah, Mr. Defense Isaiah Simmons. <laughs> I I was joking with Mike earlier. Um, what, what what did he say at the at the combine again? He was they were like the reporter asked him. So Isaiah, people talk about how versatile you are. You know what position are you going to play in the NFL? And he answered defense. That dude lined up on. I think there was a chart that he lined up like. Like 60% of his snaps were from the corner position, like the slot corner. Um, and and in that national championship game, there was one play in particular where he lined up in the slot. It was obviously early where it was a tight game before it kind of LSU started pulling away. It, it was Justin Jefferson in the slot, and he covered it really well. And I was like, whoa. Uh, I was like, wow, linebacker, right? Um, no, but, I mean, <clears throat> Pat Queen, six foot, 229, listed um, at the combine. or that, That's what his bio says. Um, honestly, just – I just want that kind of big guy in the middle that, that can just command that anchor, that defense. Um, and, and again, he played for LSU. So my thing with my, my thing is like, an eye, if you want to do an eye test, right. They played against some of the best teams in the nation all year. So yeah. there's, you know, he showed out against those guys. He was only a one year starter, which is an issue. Um, you know, but I think that just that experience about playing that schedule and, and being around a program like LSU, I think that really helps you. Um, again, big name, like I want big names this year, and that that's probably just like equivalent to being like, oh, like why, you know, buy the off brand. It's the same thing as the like buy by off brand Oreos. It's the same thing as Oreos, but like no, like give me the name brand guy. Like, you know, give me give me something because that's why I, I need the excitement back. You know. Yeah, I think uh, another guy to look at in that inside linebacker position. I think. He played some outside linebacker two this year is Cam Brown out of Penn State. So that's, you know, a guy from, you know, from Pennsylvania who we can bring in. You know, we all, a lot of people who are fans of the Eagles are also fans of Penn State. So it's a guy who a lot of people already identify with, already know, already like him as a player. And he plays really hard, right? He's 6'5", he's 230 pounds. It's a really, really big linebacker. So, you know, you like the type of physical tools that he brings. I like his competitive mentality. So I think that that's a good option for us if we're trying to get a linebacker in like the third, maybe even fourth round. Because sitting in the first round, we're probably not going to get a linebacker. It's not a priority for our defense. Even second round, the guys who we could get there probably realistically are more like third round prospects. You're probably going to want to wait. So, you know, what we do at linebacker begs to be seen. But you know, we'll, we really got to make some of these decisions, and I think we have some good options. Honestly, I am optimistic about the things that we can do in this draft because of how many picks that we have and the type of talent that's out there in this year's NFL draft. Um, 
yeah, that's really all I have on the NFL draft right now. Yeah, and, and, and like we said, like in the beginning episode, next week we'll come out with more after we see all the numbers and just be able to, to rank these prospects against each other and then look deeply into the film of it just because, <clears throat> I mean, obviously unlike basketball, the football is extremely complex. Um, a lot more goes into that. And I don't know, I think the numbers do tell a story at the end of the day, yeah. right? Like you, you see guys that have really good combine scores and, you know, maybe they don't have like the best career, but they, they can ball, right? And they can be serviceable. Not, you don't, my point being, it's okay to hit a single or a double. You don't have to hit a home run every single time. Right. Um, and so far we've, we've walked on a couple guys, like we, or we swung and really missed in the draft in the last couple of years. So, um, I mean, I'm just looking for for that spark, right? It, it, this team right now, assuming you bring back Malcolm Jenkins, I think you're good, right? And I, I think that there's optimism. Obviously, you can't rely on the luck of health, but last year there were like you saw those flashes of like it's not once, right? Like, yeah, he made some stupid throws, he missed some things. If you think about it, he's still NFL young. He's still yeah. extremely young in the NFL. People keep discounting the whole oh he you know injury prone blah blah blah. I mean. The dude was the MVP of the NFL in 2017. He was going to be the MVP that year, and everyone forgot about that because he tore his ACL because he was trying to score a touchdown. Okay, which he did score. Which he did score, but they rolled it out and he had to throw another one to Alshon. Doesn't matter. Anyway, point being, the team set for the first time in Deuce Staley's career in, in, in a while since Shady, he gets that number one running back. Yeah, back. Miles Sanders looked great this year, yeah. and Sanders came into his own. Right, he caught a lot of passes towards the end of the year. He showed that he can find the hole and hit the hole. This, you know, the 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 line is going to just be good. It's going to be good again. It's going to be obviously heavy on the right side, but on the left side, hopefully Dillard picks it up. I think and Siumalu is you know serviceable at times, even though at one point he was the worst rated guard in the NFL. But he'll be fine, right? One full offseason knowing that, and you'll be fine. I think you tweak some things, you get the right guys in there, you get the system right, and we're good. And I think that we were talking about this. We don't have an OC, but we have those like guys that, you know, the, the special advisors, the passing game guy and the, the run game guy. I think that'll work to our advantage just because that gives Doug and it gives those two guys the, the ability to just kind of work out a game plan that, that works, right? Yep. I, I did not like Mike Grow. I told Mike this from before, and I don't think anyone did. I, my thing with him was that his own father fired him. So you, your parents are supposed to look out for you. And if your dad's going to fire you, then I'm sorry. Like, mm. But, hey, you know what? That's fine. Give that give that autonomy to 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 Doug and, and and those two you know specialty advisors. I'm sure they'll work out a game plan that'll be worth it to work on Carson's strengths because I think that part of the issue was maybe they were catering it so that the offense could be run in case Carson didn't play. Right. Um, and I think at this point you just got to go all in on it because we did pay the guy. He's our guy. Um, I'm I have more than enough confidence in him to be our guy for a while. Um, so I mean. That, Again, next week we'll come we'll come out with more kind of solid who we want after all the numbers come out after we kind of do some analysis on these guys because um, it, it is a lot of information to look at. Yeah, and that finishes up our Eagles talk and our Sixers talk for this week. Uh, next week, like John said, we'll talk a little bit more about the results of the combine, what prospects we like now that we got a little bit more measurement numbers on them, and also, you know. The stuff that we see from the Sixers in this week, you know, when we're not playing with Embiid, when we're not playing with Simmons, what we need to look for, how we can build on that. And, you know, that's it. So that's episode four of Broad and Dimes. Uh, we'll hopefully we'll have you guys listening next week as well.